Today is the 21st of July, 2023, the seventh day of our retreat together, training our minds with our kamatanas, whether online or on-site, in various other countries and in Thailand as well. We come together to cultivate mindfulness and wisdom to cultivate the Noble Eightfold Path that begins with right view, starts with right view. And having right view, that's something that is beneficial and is useful according to the teachings of the Lord Buddha. Because the Buddha taught that which is useful and that which is not, that which is harmful, that which should be cultivated that which should be abandoned, and that which should be developed. So we see that these Dhamma teachings of the fully self-awakened Buddha, the Buddha taught them well, it's well expounded, taught them correctly. And this Dhamma is something to be known for oneself. So one practices to have samadhi, this peacefulness and collectedness, and to have wisdom, to realize the paths and fruits of Nibbana, which are something that one realizes, one knows for oneself. And this is something miraculous and amazing that the Dhamma gives fruit, gives result outside of time, not bound by time. So it's not that it was just in the Buddha's time when the Buddha was still alive physically that the Dhamma gave result. That's not the case. But now in the present day, 2,566 years after the Buddha's Parinibbana, if we train and practice in the Dhamma that the Buddha taught, then the Dhamma gives result, not according to time. It's not that it happens in the morning or in the middle of the day or at night. It gives result outside of time. So we practice to have right view, right effort, right intention, right speech, and so on, to make everything right on the Noble Eightfold Path. Then the Noble Eightfold Path gathers together, one is able to see the Dhamma. And this is something that laity are able to do as well. It's not just for the monastic Sangha. So we practice and train, we gather together on this retreat and we see our own minds and we can ask, why are these minds of ours not still? Why are they agitated? We don't want suffering, so why is the mind suffering all the time? And so therefore we seek a way to the end of suffering, to the end of all suffering. So we read some books, read some texts, and then we seek out the great teachers who teach correctly, who teach rightly. Then once we meet with them, we have to have effort and perseverance because this is a very good opportunity. So therefore we have effort and strive and set our hearts on the path to realizing Buddha. Because these teachings of the Lord Buddha open the mind to Buddha. And we see that the things of the past are gone already. 
If we think of the past, then it just makes the heart agitated in the present. So we see that the past is the cause and the present is the result. And so therefore we strive to build good causes in the present, which gives rise to future result. So past causes give rise to present result. Present causes gives rise to future result. So we do good causes to get good results. So we seek to abandon the proliferation in the present moment, firstly, not to think to the future, just like the saying of the wise, if it rains tomorrow, it doesn't make us wet today. The sunlight from yesterday doesn't make our cloth dry today. So this is a simile to teach us to be in the present. This is the present moment Dhamma, which is, and this present moment Dhamma leads us to see the Dhamma, to see that that which is arising, we see it right in front of our faces. We see it clearly right there. And so we practice the Dhamma to to bring the mind together, together in the present. And this can happen while we're listening to the Dhamma. While we're listening to the Dhamma, we contemplate and we can use wisdom to bring about samadhi. And it's not that we enter into jhana, it's not the mind going to one point, but it's listening to Dhamma just like we are now. We're listening and the mind inclines to the flow of Dhamma we can contemplate as well. This leads to Dhamma understanding. The mind gathers together. And this brings the mind to emptiness, to seeing everything as empty. Because this quality of emptiness is here already. Everything is empty already. But we feel troubled and agitated because we're deluded and think in terms of self and take everything to be self. We think that things are certain and stable, that they're a source of happiness and that they're self. This is the fetter of personality view firm in the heart. So what should one do to realize stream entry? Or what should one do to walk the path of stream entry? So we're, we are all already walking the path of stream entry which is this path of virtue, collectedness, and wisdom, the sila, samadhi, and panya. In wisdom, sometimes we have it, sometimes we don't. It's like a building that has a hole in the roof. It's possible to get wet when it rains, and the rain comes in and destroys the things in the building, so we feel ill at ease. But if the roof is good and stable, then we feel at ease. This is like having wisdom. For all of us, we have the qualities of generosity and virtue well established already. We're sitting here, we have generosity and virtue. And so therefore we strive to practice and train our minds while listening to the Dhamma. We can watch the breath go in and out. We can recite boot on the in-breath and do on the out-breath. We practice to have mindfulness while listening to Dhamma. 
If we don't understand the language that's being spoken, never mind about that. Just practice to make the mind peaceful in samadhi, to bring the mind to samadhi and stillness while listening to Dhamma. And this can happen listening to the monk giving the talk, speaking that about everything that we see, it's all convention, like a spittoon or a glass has no color, no size. And why is that? Because when we separate the natural elements that compose these objects, we separate them out, then there's no color, there's no size. For instance, if we take many glasses and put them all together, then there's a small glass, a medium glass, and a big glass. And we think that it's small because of proliferation. There's a small glass, a middle-sized glass, and a large glass. And this is convention arising based on proliferation. If we don't proliferate, then there's nothing there. And we see it's just like that. It's impermanent. It's suffering. It's not self. Just like that. So this not proliferating is a very important point. We practice to know the proliferation as it arises, to know it in time. And this is, brings the mind to see the Dhamma. So I was listening to the Dhamma just like that. The mind was still. And Previously, ever since I was born, I understood that the glass was a glass, that it actually was a glass in truth. And I thought that when there were two glasses, that one was small and one was big. And if there were three glasses, one was small, one was medium, one was big. I understood that that was true, or I thought that that was true, that one was small, one was big and that the big glass was actually bigger than the other glass. So this is all arising based on the proliferation of the mind. Then the mind with wisdom sees that it's not like that actually. Before the bigger glass came, then the other glass wasn't small. The glass was just what it was, it wasn't small or big. But then when the other glass comes, then proliferation, that convention starts to arise. And with sufficient wisdom, I was able to see that the convention was arising as it was arising. The mind gathered together. This wasn't jhana. This wasn't the mind still in one point. This was wisdom arising. Wisdom to know and to see. And so wisdom arose with right view. The qualities of virtue, collectedness, and wisdom gathered together. Gathered together into one point. To the point of knowing and seeing clearly. This was the experience of Dhamma arising. And there was no self, no me or mine, no you or yours. There was nothing just like that. And this was like another world opened up, another world that I hadn't seen before. This is something miraculous and amazing, seeing, arising, and ceasing. 
and seeing the lives of people was something very short. This was this was the nine vipassana insights or nine vipassana knowledges, seeing them all clearly. The mind felt incredibly full and happy and had a lot of rapture. And sometimes we may have seen this already uh, to us, or one of these knowledges already, like seeing that conditioned formations are uh, agitated or troublesome, arising and ceasing. We can feel equanimous about this, see that all birth ends in death, all beings having been born must die, that there's no essence to any of it. It's just like kids uh, playing, like pretending to cook with fake food and pretending to cook with salt, but it's actually sand and just pretending to uh, play house like that. Pretending to make a soup or curry, different foods, but it's not real. And that's the same for us, that actually it's all convention just in the same way. It's not real. Ignorance tells us that it's real, but one who sees with wisdom sees that we're all uh, behaving just like that, that it's not real. It's just a convention. So why should we cling to it? Because it's all impermanent. It doesn't last. When we see this, then the quality of faith becomes firm and unwavering, this quality of faith and belief. And this belief we had before led us to strive. It was belief without wisdom, or belief without a lot of wisdom. But was it good? Uh, yes, it was good. Because without that belief, we wouldn't do anything. We wouldn't do generosity. We wouldn't practice virtue. We wouldn't listen to Dhamma. We do all those things because of our belief. We see that the teachings of the Buddha are well expounded, that generosity, virtue, and meditation are valuable. They lead to the arising of wisdom. And once wisdom has arisen, faith becomes firm and unwavering in the teachings of the fully self-awakened Buddha. And so therefore, for ourselves practicing, it's something we can be proud of, that we're walking this path. And so we keep walking this path and gradually cultivate the path bit by bit to bring the mind to samadhi. That's something we do in the present, to see arising and ceasing in the present, which is to see the Dhamma. There was one occasion I went to go contemplate uh, someone who had died already, and they were doing an autopsy, cutting open the skull to remove the brain, to weigh the organs. At that point, the body had no cloth on it. They were cutting out the organs, removing them from the body, uh, weighing them, and so on. And they didn't say who this person was, but I, observing this, reflected that the life of people is truly uncertain. So I saw this individual had been exercising in the morning and then a, a bomb went off and he died. 
So we see that life is unsure, it's uncertain. Reflecting like this, my mind became very still, filled with dispassion, with sangwega. This is my a meditation object, a kamatana. One could also use this occasion to contemplate a subha, the not attractive nature of the body, to bring the mind to peace. But if one is proficient in the contemplation of death, then one could contemplate that life is uncertain, death is certain, to bring the mind to samadhi and stillness. So this training of the mind in samadhi is important to bring the mind to stillness. Then I saw how they were putting the organs back into the body, sewing the body back up and putting clothing on it. And that's when the mind started to proliferate into convention. Then they would say, oh, this is uh, this person who died with this profession. And so the mind started to proliferate, but wisdom arose simultaneously with that proliferation. Wisdom arose, and this is called bhavana maya panya, the wisdom that arises from mental cultivation, from a peaceful mind. So this knowing arose, the mind gathered. There was knowing just like this, that there is really no one who died. There's no one there who passed away. It's just these natural elements degrading and passing away. Seeing this, the mind became very bright. I saw that which we've heard before, that the body is like a biological machine. And seeing this clearly, it's truly amazing that there's really no one there. There's no person. That we're not... Uh, there's no being, no person, no, no human there. It's just like a robot, like a machine, like an artificial intelligence machine that humans are building these days. And these AI machines, they can eat or speak or walk or smile, go in various postures. But we look at them and we know that they're not human. We know it's a machine. And so when wisdom arises, we see that we are the same way. We're just machines like that in the same way. We're like these clockwork puppets or clockwork machines that are just stuttering about. We can see this clearly. Seeing this clearly, the mind is rapturous and happy. It feels full. This is seeing deeply into the Dhamma. There was one venerable elder monk who's meditating on Asuba, the not beautiful nature of the body. And nearby there was a wife and husband who had a fight. And the wife walked by that monk. But the monk saw that woman just as a skeleton. The husband came along and asked, did you see a woman walk by here? And the monk said, I only saw a skeleton walk by. So that's one example. So if we train in our meditation object, then it can happen like this. And some people practice like this and give rise to wisdom like this. For instance, in Delhi, in India, there's a lot of practice of 
mindfulness, a lot of the practice of the four foundations of mindfulness. There was one woman who was caring for a pet bird, and one day a hawk came and ate that bird. If it was our bird, we would probably feel sad. But she contemplated and saw that it was just a skeleton grabbing a skeleton. So we see that this is a place, a city of wisdom. As the Buddha taught the Satipatthana Sutta at that location, the discourse on the foundations of mindfulness. And so there's many, many people practicing mindfulness at that place. And a lot of people saw the Dhamma there as well. So this woman didn't see a bird, she didn't see a hawk, she just saw skeletons. So using this meditation object of the skeleton, this is one example. We contemplate, we see it as not self, we can know clearly with wisdom that there's no being, no self there to be found, no me or mine, you or yours. And this is just one aspect of the foundation of mindfulness of the body, of Gayanupasana, using the body as a foundation of, for mindfulness, which can lead one to see the Dhamma. And one was able to see the Dhamma in the past in this way, and in the present one can as well. So therefore we try to practice and train these minds in the present to cultivate samadhi in the present. Once I was doing walking meditation, and I felt that I really wanted to attain to arahantship, to full awakening. I was walking and felt a lot of rapture and happiness. I felt that the paths and fruits of Nibbana were very close. Uh, Maga Pala Nibbana was close by. And thereafter, Venerable Ajahn Chah gathered the monks in order for him to give a Dhamma talk. And he spoke right to my heart. He spoke uh, having known the thoughts in my own mind. And I, this is something very miraculous about the teachings of Venerable Ajahn Chah. And he taught that the mind that's liking or disliking, this is a mind involved with the worldly winds. So set the mind to be in the middle, not to fall into liking or disliking but to have mindfulness and wisdom right there, to see clearly, to see not self, not mere mind, to bring the mind to emptiness, to understand clearly. And so this leads the faith and belief in Dhamma practice to become stronger as the results arise. One becomes more confident gradually, bit by bit, the doubts that have bothered the mind for a very long time already. And these doubts have bothered the mind because we want to attain, we want to very badly, to various levels, all the way to arahantship. And this can make the mind very agitated and troubled. These doubts are troubling and stirring up the mind all the time, making the mind chaotic. But then we come to practice the Dhamma, to listen to Dhamma, to practice following in the footsteps of the Buddha. In this way, the doubts can gradually reduce bit by bit to the point where there's no doubts left at all. 
we see that it's this mind that's agitated and shaking that causes us to not see clearly, that makes us see this body as self. But we can take a look and see, well, where is that self to be found? For instance, if we take the teeth in our mouth and we take them out and put them in a container, well, which of those teeth is mine, which is me? We can investigate and take a look. And if we get 10 more people to come bring their teeth and put them in containers and we put them all next to each other, we see, well, which teeth are mine and which are theirs. And if we gather all those teeth in one pile, will we know which ones are ours? We won't know. But if we keep them in different piles, we think, oh, our, our teeth are in this pile. But then if we take those teeth and we separate them out into uh, dust, then we still think, oh, those are my teeth there in that pile of dust. But then we degrade the elements that compose the teeth even further to more and more subtle levels until there's nothing left there at all. Here is where the mind sees that, oh, there's nothing there. There's no teeth there. It's just emptiness. So we have to separate out and disintegrate them first in this way. But in order to do this, we need to have firm samadhi, firm collectedness of mind. If our mindfulness, or, sorry, if our samadhi is well established, then this is not difficult to do. For instance, we can grab our left hand with our right hand and feel the bones in our hand and ask, well, is this me? Is this mine? Then we see it's not me or mine. It's just these natural elements. We can take the left hand to grab the right, the right to grab the left. We see it's not self. Or we can go and touch the bones anywhere on our body. And the mind with samadhi can easily give rise to wisdom contemplating like this. But if we don't yet have wisdom, then we have to train the mind first to use wisdom to train the mind to bring about samadhi. And we teach the mind bit by bit to the point where one is able to put these things down. There was one occasion where Venerable Ajahn Chah was giving a private teaching to a female lay disciple and behind uh, closed doors to explain the Dhamma to her. She wanted to listen to the Dhamma in private. And I was there as well, listening to what Venerable Ajahn Chah was saying. He was explaining about the mind and about the body, the body being not self. And we separate out the body into different elements, different sense bases, to teach the mind to accept it as not self, to teach that it's something uncertain, it's not me or mine. And if the mind is able to believe this, then there's no need to teach the mind a lot. We can teach the mind just once. But if we're not able to do that, then we practice to separate out the body into natural elements, into different parts. And then we teach the mind that it's unsure, it's not self. 
But if the wisdom is still insufficient, then we, the mind can't accept that. So we have to train wisdom to be sufficient to teach the mind, to give rise to this object in the mind, to teach the mind that it's, it's like this, it's uncertain. Liking arises, and one teaches the mind it's unsure. Disliking arises, and one teaches the mind it's unsure. And there's someone that we really like a lot, we teach the mind it's unsure. If there's some really delicious food, we teach the mind it's unsure. We teach the mind bit by bit, we teach the mind that it'll, it'll change, that it's uncertain. This is Dhamma, this is wisdom. This is the Dhamma in order to see the teachings of the fully self-awakened Buddha, to teach the mind with wisdom to realize freedom from suffering, to give rise to clear seeing or vipassana. We teach the mind it's uncertain, it's impermanent, it's suffering, it's not self. We use wisdom to teach the mind, to bring the mind to peace and collectedness. This is training in samadhi, you set your hearts on training in samadhi. Just like you're doing today on the seventh day of this retreat, training in samadhi. And then when the retreat is over, May you keep practicing, don't stop with your practice, but keep going. Don't put it to the side, but keep on caring for your mind. Because in the beginning it can feel difficult. This personality view, this Sakaya Diddy, can feel very firmly embedded deep in the heart. Because it's been like that for many lifetimes beyond counting. But even though it may be a lot, never mind about that. Because you've practiced for many lifetimes as well, until the present life. So practice to separate out the body into elements, into parts, in order to see not-self. Then in no long time, you will be able to see the truth. When anger arises, you see that when anger arises, the sense of self arises. Greed arises, the sense of self arises right there. Delusion arises, the sense of self arises right there. This happens very quickly. We read the news and the sense of self arises right there. So we feel like it is the self who sees, the self who eats, and so on, and does various activities. So we have mindfulness to know, to know the sense of self as it arises, to cultivate mindfulness, to know it in time, in order to contemplate, to see that contact leads to feeling, to vedana, leading to craving, to attachment. So we practice to cut off this cycle at attachment. So we contemplate these five things to see it all as not self in order to realize freedom from suffering. Just like Venerable Anya Kandanya and the five ascetics and all the other awakened disciples, like Anattapindaka, King Bimbisara, they all saw arising and ceasing. They saw not self. Just like Anattapindaka heard the word Buddha, 
When Samadhi arose, his mind became very bright. His old parami came back to the point where he couldn't sleep that night because he had so much rapture all night. And when he went after that to go see the Buddha and listen to the Dhamma of the Buddha, he was able to see the Dhamma because he had samadhi as a foundation. This foundation was able to accept the teachings. So we train and practice and don't be afraid that you'll get stuck in samadhi. It's not, it's not like, it's, we don't have samadhi like a ascetic in the forest like that, not like a deep jhana where we enter samadhi for a week or a month straight. It's not like that. So we train in samadhi to give rise to right samadhi, which is samadhi for the sake of the ending of suffering with wisdom. We do that at the beginning to make samadhi as our firm foundation that's well established to give rise to wisdom and understanding according to various levels. This is something miraculous. We practice samadhi while sitting, but we can do it in any posture as well. Sitting, standing, walking, lying down. We can have samadhi in all postures, even while speaking, doing activities during the day. We can have firmly established samadhi. And that's how samadhi is. Before we felt that we needed stillness, even the slightest sound, and we would feel agitated by that, we'd feel angry. We'd feel like we entered samadhi, but then we felt like our samadhi was destroyed because someone called our name. This is lacking, where we lose our mindfulness and wisdom, and then we give rise to anger. The mind's not in the present moment anymore. Someone stuck in samadhi can give rise to anger like that. So we have to take care. I was like that myself. Someone called my name and I felt that at that point my samadhi was good. You know, something very difficult to give rise to that samadhi. But when someone called my name, that samadhi disappeared and I felt angry. At that point, I wasn't ordained as a monk yet, and there was some work going on nearby. And so I locked myself in a room so that I could do samadhi with no one bothering me. At that time, there wasn't wisdom, it was just samadhi. And exiting that samadhi, it was possible for anger to arise, for the defilements to grab the heart. The samadhi is something it's possible to realize, to make it firm and well-established, to have samadhi in the four postures, sitting, standing, walking, lying down, and to do it continuously. The mind can be still and in samadhi continuously. And then we have samadhi throughout the day, throughout all our activities speaking, doing things, moving, having different postures. And then when we come to sit in meditation again, the samadhi becomes even deeper. This is when meditation practice becomes fun. Then we contemplate to see the body clearly. And seeing clearly then rapture 
can arise for three days and three nights, as I explained already. But then when it hap this clear seeing happens again, the rapture and happiness can arise for one month straight. This is wisdom arising again. Then one meditates further, and the rapture can arise for six months, it can have stable rapture, and the mind and body feel very light. This is upajara samadhi, which then can lead to one-pointed samadhi. When it's like this, contemplating asubha is easy. Contemplating the elements is easy. One is proficient at seeing the elements degrade and disintegrate. But all of these results arise from what I did since the first day, since the first day of my practice, and in past lives as well. But on the first day of practice in this lifetime, even sitting five minutes, I couldn't do it. The mind was so agitated and troubled. But then I kept practicing. And so we see that we have to keep going. We have to keep practicing and it gives rise to results. And we may have this wish that we want to achieve various results, want to achieve various levels of enlightenment, but we put that to the side first and cultivate the causes in the present to see emptiness, to see degradation, disintegration, to see it like that. This is something I saw before, before ordaining, seeing emptiness. I saw this clearly. This is seeing the qualities of the Buddha Dhamma Sangha deeply, that which we bow to reverentially. I saw this deeply, saw it clearly. This is the mind gathering in sila, samadhi, and panya, going beyond doubt. This is brightness and illumination arising in the mind to pass over, becoming in birth. This is the mind seeing the Dhamma clearly. So may you all set your hearts on this to train and practice. If you're, once the retreat is over, uh, keep practicing and don't give up, uh, but keep going because you've met with the right way of practice already. So keep practicing to realize the paths and fruits of Nibbana. May you all grow in blessings.